Our scripture reading this morning will begin in Proverbs 18, verse 21. And then we'll also be in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 and 37. I'll give you a moment to find both of those. Proverbs 18, 21. Matthew 12, 33 through 37. Hear the word of the Lord. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. From the Gospel of Matthew 12, beginning in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. Kids do say the darndest things, don't they? Last Sunday after lunch, no, last Sunday during lunch, and I don't even remember how it came up, but one of my sons said, kind of out of the blue, if I were the pastor, the sermons would definitely be shorter. I just, you know, <laughs> enjoy the rest of your lunch, you know. <laughs> and so I did. I did. I, what do you say to that? Um, humor is so good for us. Good humor is life-giving, right? Good humor between one another uh, helps us to laugh more, to not take ourselves so seriously, to use our words to bring life to one another. You can, through good humor, bring life because the right words at the right time do bring life and healing and hope. Proverbs 18.21 is our text for the day. And I suppose this proverb captures, as well as any single proverb, the whole idea of words in the book of Proverbs. And we're studying, if you're new with us today, first time online or with us here in person, we're, we're working through the book of Proverbs, and now we're into the topics. And today we're talking about words, what we say, how we speak, what we speak. And the right words at the right time 
have the power of both life and at the wrong time, death in them. That's an arresting thought. To think that your tongue and your words have so much potential. And 1821, let me just read it to you again. Let it sink in. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it, mark that, will eat its fruits. That is, you will feel the effect one way or the other. You will, and your listener will, the sender and the receiver, will feel the powerful effects of words. Or as Jesus said it, right? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. One thing you can know for sure, the tree will be known by its fruit, right? And then he explains his analogy in verse 34 by saying out of the out of the abundance of the heart, out of the motivation, you could, you could try to, like, what's he mean by the abundance of the heart? What he means, I think, is by the, the um, overflowing motivation of the heart. Out of the motivation of the heart, the mouth speaks. It just does. It can't help it. This explains why gossip tastes so good. In 18.8, if you just lean to the left in chapter 18 in your Bible there, you'll see that gossip, Proverbs 18.8, is like a tasty morsel, like the small crispy parts. Do you know what I'm talking about? The tasty morsel. So the, the only thing that's better than hot, fresh Chick-fil-A waffle fries is the stuff at the bottom with the little crispies and the salt. You know what I'm talking about? And you get to the final. Do you do this when you get to the end? <laughs> Anybody do that? That's why on earth is so gossip is like those tasty little morsels. Why does it taste so good? You have to ask yourself this question. Because words always smuggle something else in with them. That's heart stuff. That's how words work. Words always bring with them the heart stuff. That's why sarcasm brings such a momentarily satisfying feeling of superiority. That's why we're so opinionated, because we love self more than truth or understanding the perspective of someone else. That's why gossip is so tasty because we'd much rather be in the know than truly know someone. Like, these things taste so good and are so much a part of our life because, because words are always communicating what's in our hearts to the sender and the receiver. It's always cycling back. And you'll never be a wise person until you start to understand how powerful your words are, for better or for worse. So we're thinking about wisdom, and we want to harness the power of words for the good purposes of God. I have two simple points in honor of my son who asked me to shorten things. <laughs> two points today, see? See, I'm listening. Just two points. Um, the bad news and the good news. Which do you want first? Let's do the bad news. 
we're going to start with the bad news. And I'm, what I need you to do is stay in Proverbs 18, but then be ready to flip back a little bit and forward a little bit. We're going we're gonna to move to each point, okay? Uh, so so <laughs> more, more bad news. We haven't even got to the bad news, but there are several subpoints. <laughs> okay, here's the bad news. Words bring death. Let me just roll through several of these. Words hurt. Go back to 12:18. Turn back to Proverbs 12, verse 18. Here's the first, first thing. Words hurt. Rash words are like sword thrusts. This is a disturbing image right here. Okay, so Proverbs 12, 18, the, the rash word that is spoken, it's like a, a sword thrust. It's like a stabbing or a cutting into someone. It cuts like a knife. It, it cuts deep. Every one of us have felt this. We have felt the slash of sarcasm, a gash of ugliness, a stab of anger. You can't see it, but immediately there's internal bleeding. This is the way it works. Words powerfully hurt, and, and we, we know they do. We've experienced it. Once you speak a cutting word to someone, you can't get it back. And if you do it often enough, you won't keep any friends, and people will not trust you. Because words do hurt, right? Words really can hurt people. Secondly, go to Proverbs 16. Words divide. 16.28. A perverse person, the NIV has it this way, a perverse or distorted person stirs up conflict and strife. A dishonest man or a distorted man or a perverse man spreads strife, stirs up strife, stirs up conflict. In other words, relationships rise and fall on words. And hasty, judgmental words can drive a wedge between the best of friends. Stirring it up, spreading strife, the ESV has. It seems like some people just enjoy doing this. giving criticism too willingly, pointing out what's wrong with others, enjoying pointing out what's wrong with others. Jonathan Edwards, in his famous work, Charity and Its Fruits, called this a, a censorious spirit, by which he meant uh, a forwardness, a willingness, a sort of really quick to censor, judge, and be critical of the words of another person in an uncharitable way. And this has just been so deeply convicting uh, to many of us. Uh, you, could all, you could also call it a legal spirit or a policing spirit or a kind of a know-it-all spirit, you know. Um, some of us don't realize how divisive our words are in the heart of relationships, when I do have a censorious, critical spirit, what's missing, listen to this, is a profound sense of what God's grace has done for me. That's what's missing. 
That's what makes me so free, right? Because our words reveal our hearts. That was, that's what makes me so free to be critical so quickly of other people. That is the absence of something, the absence of grace, a profound sense of God's grace. Here's the third thing that words do. So words hurt, words divide relationally. Third, words can shame. Words shame. Go to 1628. Proverbs 16. Oh, we're there, sorry. <laughs> we're still in 28. The second half. Look at the second half of 28. And a gossip separates close friends. In addition to dividing a relationship, gossip is how we, we shame other people. We share tasty details. Okay, let me say this before we get into gossip. Um, because I want to use gossip as example of how we shame one another. Please do not think of someone else right now. Which, I mean, immediately some of you are, like, we're, that's what we do. We all, if we're honest, struggle with gossip. So, let me just try to go there for a second in terms of defining it. Um, when we gossip, we're sharing the tasty details, the morsels that are not ours to tell, right? Gossip kind of technically defined, is a rumor or a report about another person's private life that is either unkind, disapproving, or not true. And we seize on one of those things. Usually we exaggerate stuff, and we always do this to exalt ourselves over the other person. When we gossip, that's what we're doing. I also think gossip is a form of stealing. It's like you sneak into someone's integrity closet when they're not there and you take something from their house, their credibility, their honesty. Gossip is a cheap substitute. It's a distortion of true relationship. And what I think is interesting about this and something I've learned about myself in the process is that if I gossip or when I gossip, what I'm doing is I'm actually, I'm enjoying this cheap substitute, right? I'm enjoying being in the know rather than truly knowing another person or being known because knowing someone or being known by someone is far more challenging and rewarding than dropping a Molotov cocktail on a drive-by through gossip. It's a cheap substitute. What you really want is relationship. And you'll never be happy without good relationship. So words can do this. We can, through gossip, shame people. All right, if you do these things long enough, if you hurt, divide, shame, you could even bring yourself to the place of using your words to kill. And that's in 1821. That's the heart of our message today. That's the verse we're using to unpack the, the, the bad and the good. And so uh, death, it says, 1821, death is in the power of the tongue. And we think this is what it means. I mean, the Hebrew prophets and poets and writers of the wisdom literature knew what they were doing. They were saying, and this proverb is saying, the tongue is so powerful that it's, it, it's as if it could kill someone because in some ways it does. If you keep at it, eventually it brings death. It might be the slow death of a marriage. 
where you talk condescendingly to your wife long enough and she starts to look for love somewhere else in her children or her career or another man. It could be the slow death of a parent-child relationship. Or maybe more immediately and acutely, words trigger a fight, like a physical altercation where, where it gets deadly fast and someone actually loses their life. That can happen. It happens all the time, time in, in bars all over America. A murder or a suicide because someone has heard just long enough, I am a hopeless, meaningless, insignificant person. I don't matter. I'm done. Or it could even be a full-scale war between states and nations. Words have the power to kill. It's fascinating how powerful words are. So that's the bad news. The bad news is words hurt and divide and shame and can even kill. And you and I stand guilty in participating in many of these things. But here is the good news. And this is why you came to church. I hope this is why you came to church. Jesus can take a stone cold heart. All right, are you ready for this? Jesus can take a stone cold heart and make it beat with beauty and life and kindness and blessing and goodness, and he can redeem and rescue our words. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus can change our hearts and then take this gospel beauty and power and life-giving stuff, and, and we can give it to others. We can bless. We can help. We can heal good news. Words bring life. Look at this. The power of life is in the tongue. What does it mean that the tongue has the power to bring life? What does that mean? Let me give you several examples from Proverbs. Truthful words. I love this. I've never seen this before. This is so good. Watch this. Go to 2426. Proverbs 24 and verse 26. Your words can powerfully deepen relationship. Truthful words can do that. Look at 2426. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Truth spoken can be like a kiss on the lips. In the Bible, truth is not just a propositional matter. It is a it is also a relational matter. Truth is not relative. I'm not saying that. I am saying it's relational, powerfully relational. I've never thought about truth like that. Truth, honesty, uh, speaking the truth in love, is, this is, this is in, the, in the orbit of Ephesians 4.29 and that whole section right of Ephesians 4. Um, speaking the truth Speaking the truth is supposed to be an act of kindness. That's what's happening here. 
Speaking the truth is supposed to be an act of kindness, just like a kiss. Truth does not have to be delivered by Miss Grumpy Pants or Mr. Know-it-all or Mr. I just have the gift of prophecy. You can speak both grace and truth at the same time. Kissing, says Tremper Longman in his excellent commentary on Proverbs, kissing and truth-telling are both pleasurable acts that one can perform or receive with the lips. You, you can convey affection with truth. That's mind-blowing because so many of us have been taught or thought or, or misunderstood the Scriptures in such a way as to think that truth is always and ever just hard. Like, do this, right? That's not the whole story. Truth is beautiful. Truth is warm. Truth is inviting. Truth is powerful. Like, truth is life-giving. Don't you want, don't you, don't you long for as a believer the ability to have a conversation with someone else about hard, truthful stuff with affection and intimacy and relationship? That's the best way that truth travels, I think. And this is so deeply convicting as a parent. I didn't even want to preach today because of this. Tim Keller writes in his commentary on Proverbs, we must never use truth as a weapon. You must ask yourself why you're telling the truth. Is it to win an argument, to punish or pay back or embarrass someone else, to defend your pride, to complain? Well, I, I think, man, I think I'm guilty of this. I'm just going to use the truth to complain about something. That's what I'll do. I'll hijack the truth to complain about something. That's just bogus. All right, let me go to the second one because I, I need a break on this one. Uh, two, so hopefully that makes two of us. Uh, kind, kind words. Here's the second thing, kind words. Go back to chapter 12, verse 25. We were singing about it a moment ago. Oh, I love that song. Um, you won me. I think Lori was singing this part. You won me. You, you won me over with your kindness. 12.25 Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word, a kind word, you can translate it good or, or kind, makes him glad. You can speak kind words and bring life and gladness to people. Personal and kind, pleasant and sweet. This is what this word means. Timely and thoughtful. So much of good biblical counseling is grounded in this verse. Just meeting face to face with someone. This is what biblical counselors do. They meet face to face with someone, feel the weight and anxiety and heaviness of their heart, and then they speak good, Kind, hopeful words. They speak the gospel into that moment. That's what we call biblical counseling. And you and I can do that at a very practical level 
during the week with one another as we engage in gospel talk that listens well and feels the anxiety and weight of a person and then speaks goodness into that moment. Not long ago, there was some harshness and ugliness floating around in our kitchen that the siblings were stirring up, and I jumped in on it. <laughs> Why not? And then my beautiful, amazing, sweet, godly, I married way up wife says, just like everything just slowed down. And the room quiet, and she said, I just want our home to be a place of kindness. And she just said it perfectly and beautifully, and that's, that's right. To be kind in the Bible is to be helpful, sympathetic, understanding, to place the other person at ease. I mean, don't you want to live in kind relationships? In a kind home? You can speak kindness and put the gospel in that moment, right then. Here's the uh, Third good news. Here, here's the third way you can speak good news into a moment. Ch chapter 15, verse 1, all-time favorite verse. I guess someone knew I needed this for my whole life because early on in my Christian life, I, don't, I, mean, I can't think of a proverb that I knew earlier than this one. 15.1. It's so powerful, so important. Uh, write this on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs 15.1. Speak gentle words. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word, what does it do? It stirs things up. It, it says, oh, you want to fight? Let's fight. Let's do it right now. Like that's what this proverb kind of captures, but a gentleness, a kindness uh, diffuses that. So if there's a distinction to be made between kind and gentle, it's this. Kindness is more about motive. Gentleness is about delivery, tone, disposition. I think that's what's happening in 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath because it's disarming. It's diffusing. It de-escalates. Some people feed on the escalation of conflict. Listen to this. Some of us are feeding on the escalation of conflict, but what the gospel does when it comes into your heart is it changes you and it puts grace so profoundly in your life that it gives you the ability through God's grace and mercy, right, that's been shown to you to respond differently and to diffuse that moment of escalation. So you, you stop saying, oh, you want to fight? Let's fight. You start saying, oh, I see what's happening here. Let's turn this down a little bit having a self-awareness that only the gospel can give you in that moment. Gentleness is not a sign of weakness. In fact, gentleness is a sign of godly strength. Jesus, the strongest man who ever lived, was characterized by being gentle and lowly. It's a sign of godly strength. It's one of the most important skills that you could ever learn, and especially if you're on the security team at the church. 
or anywhere else. The leader of our security team here said, and I quote this week, he said, the last thing we need, listen to this, the last thing we need on the security team is a person who's impatient, sarcastic, or harsh. Why? Well, because in that moment of crisis, that person would become an escalating person, not a de-escalating, under control. I thought that was a great word. Gentle words, let me say it like this, gentle words are even more powerful when they're spoken by someone who has power and authority. In that moment, you can bring the gospel to bear. Here's the fourth thing. So we also want to speak timely words. Timely words. Turn to 15.23. So you're close there. Just uh, drop down to chapter 15, verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And here it is, and a word in season, a, a, a word at the right moment is so good, <laughs> right? You can, say, you can say exactly the right word at the wrong time and blow the whole thing up. Or you can say the right word at the right time in the right way and bring gospel life into that moment. This also includes tactfulness. Over in 25.11, it says, a word aptly or fitly spoken. Tactfulness, timing and tact. Tactfulness is such an important thing to learn. I wish I had more of it. In um, high school chemistry class, I can't remember if it's 11th or 12th grade at this point. Would I have been 11th or 12th grade in chemistry? I don't know. It depends on what track you're on, I guess. Anyhow, is I'll never forget this moment. I had said something sassy in class to my teacher. I know you can hardly imagine that. And she stopped the class and said, Mr. Shem, um, I've got a homework assignment for you. I would like for you to go study the word tact and tactfulness. Because you're not going to do this in my class. And I don't think I said anything else at that moment. And I have been my whole life asking the Lord to help me understand tactfulness because it matters. Getting it done, like saying the right thing at the right time, in the right way, it's so critical to, to be able to speak. Like, this is such an incredibly practical way to live out the gospel, right? You can be a tactful person. Uh, you don't have to be a believer. You can be a tactful person who's not a believer, who uh, people will say, oh, he, uh, he or she has poise or grace or tact. You know, you can, you can do that without being a believer. But oh, how much more like meaningful and powerful would it be as one who's experienced God's grace to, to practice this? Here's the last word. Healing words, 1624. 
gracious words are like a honeycomb. Some of you might have a translation that reads liquid honey or flowing honey or something like that. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Words can definitely bring hurt, but, and this is the good news, words can also bring healing and can be soothing and can be pleasant and can be sweet. Gracious words are like honey. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. In uh, ancient times and today, like if you call Dr. Barrett today with an angry sore throat and say, Dr. Barrett, I've got an angry sore throat, what do I do? He's going to say, you should, get a, uh, you should get some honey, some liquid honey, and pour it into a tablespoon and take a big heaping and let that soothe your angry sore throat, right? Because honey, honey does that. It's got this you know, satisfying, medicinal, healing kind of thing going on. And the, the writer of Proverbs cashes in on that and says, look, your words can be soothing to a moment of anger or ugliness or unhealth. Gracious words, mark that, words of grace. Words that convey grace. So this is the, this is the closing thought. Okay, the closing thought is this, the right word spoken out of a heart motivated by God's grace could actually bring healing into a moment. I've seen that. I, I believe that. I believe that the power of the gospel can come through our words and, and maybe you've experienced that from someone that like, and you wanted to be around that person more because the way they spoke was life-giving. It was healing. It was restoring. It wasn't just tearing things down. Um, life-giving, healing, good gospel words. They're, grace, they're grace-filled, right? Don't speak unwholesome words, but only give words, Ephesians chapter 4, to those like words of grace that they might bring, uh, edify, build up, and, and bring grace to them in a time of need. Here's what we know is going to happen this week, and I'm going to, I'm going to land this, this plane. Here's what we know is going to happen this week. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are going to go out into a world that is full of angry words and loud words and impatient words and sarcastic, unkind, harsh words, and some of us are going to contribute to that until, by God's grace, His Spirit says, whoa, 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 whoa. And, and as we're out there living in this world this week, gossip is going to float right up to us, and we're going to be tempted. And you just, I'm, you're just going it's, it's to be, this week is going to be just like last week. It's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. And you're going to have to decide at that moment, am I going to activate the gospel? in my heart because I'm because life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it are going to eat its fruit are going to feel the effects of it one way or the other 
And so you're going to have to decide, am I going to activate the gospel? Because out of the heart, right, out of the motivations and abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'm certain of this. The word, the world, see if you agree with this, the world knows that words hurt and kill. The world knows that. What they don't know is that words can bring life. What they don't know is the power of the gospel and grace-infused words, right? Let words smuggle in something subversive and beautiful and good that could undermine the world through goodness and grace and beauty. 